Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. And we're going to look at just the last couple of verses. The verses that we're coming to are Jesus has been there before Pilate. Um, he's just gone before Herod. He is, is, has, has gone previously before the Sanhedrin. And, and it's this trial that's taking place that is against the laws of Judaism as well as the laws of, of Rome. Pilate is, is, is a leader in that particular region who is a weak leader. He wants to be thought of as strong, but he's done incredibly foolish things over the course of, of his time there as the leader in that particular region. Um, there's been uprisings that have occurred, and he's been rebuked from Tiberius, Caesar at that particular time. And, and, uh, and the last thing in the world that he wants is for there to be another uprising, another riot, another problem. Word going back to Rome that he's failed again. And so he's there, and it's early in the morning, and he's heard from those that that are accusing Christ and um, spoken to Christ himself. He comes to the place of saying, I find no fault in him at all. I don't find any fault at all in Christ. And yet, rather than just let him go, being afraid of what might come his way. He says in verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And then they all cried again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. We're going to focus just on that particular text this morning as far as looking at this particular event that has occurred. Um, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible event that's occurring because what you find is Pilate saying, how do I get myself out of this? How do I get myself out of this? I find no fault in this man, Christ, at all. And yet... These people are calling upon me to execute him, to, to crucify him. And he remembers that at this particular time, at the Passover, he is allowed, according to the custom, to allow one of the Jewish prisoners to be released. And in his mind, it's, this is my chance to get out of this. This is my chance to make it so that Jesus can be released. Um, There's no shame upon me because I've done something great in abiding by the customs that are here in this land. Rome won't be upset with me because I've done something that is good. But I also give it as far as an opportunity for those that are within Israel, the religious leaders, to, to be able to look at this particular situation in to let Jesus go. I'm going to give them two options. Two men that I'll bring before them. Jesus and Barabbas. Two particular men that are radically different. The name Barabbas means son of a father. And he was the son of a father. 
but a son of an earthly father. And someone who had grown to be one who was a notorious criminal at that particular time. Mark gives us details about him. Luke gives us deep details about him, as well as Matthew. In Mark, we, we read that, that there's this man named Barabbas, and he's chained with his, his fellow rebels, and, and they had committed murder in the rebellion. So what do we know about him? He's chained to these other men. There's been this rebellion that has occurred, and he's murdered people. So they have him, he's the leader of this particular group, and he's chained up with these guys, and they're murderers, insurrectionists. They've, they've rebelled. Luke chapter 23 and verse 19, it tells us that they had thrown into prison this man um, for the rebellion and for murder. We also find that, that in Matthew, it tells us he's a notorious prisoner, known at that time, and And we learn from John that he also was someone who was a robber. He he was a wicked, wicked man. In in, in Pilate's mind, he's looking around saying, who is the one that's known? That's known the best as far as being somebody who, who all of the people will know of? And there's no way that they're going to want this guy to be let loose. There's no way they're going to want him to be the one to be freed. They hated him. They were fearful of him. They had known what he had done. I think of in, in my lifetime, the person that would stand out to me most to be like that would be someone like Richard Ramirez. Just, just being a kid, I, I have just vivid memories of being just about 12 years old and the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, going through this area. Someone who had murdered 13 people, at least. Five counts of attempted murder. Um, sexual assault, burglary. Someone that, that we were just afraid of. We didn't know who he was. And he was coming into people's houses and just doing horrific things. I remember just sleeping. He, he, he hit here in Mission Viejo and... and he focused on single-story houses, and we had a single-story house, and it was painted the same color as most of the ones that he had hit before. And I, I remember just going to bed at night thinking, like, okay, I got my baseball bat. If I hear anything, if this guy comes into our house, he will have come into the wrong house. Like, he's going down in this house. And for weeks and weeks there in 1984, we were, we were going to bed and the last thought on your mind at night was, would we be attacked? Hated by the people in this area. I mean, everybody in California was fearful of the Night Stalker. And he was caught. Um, eventually caught, and the people recognized him, and he was trying to take people's cars, and they found him, and they, one guy took a metal bar and smashed him a little bit. And, and, and uh, some people say that the police got there too early. He ended up living until just a few years ago where he died in prison on death row. But that particular man, I read the account of, of how the police officer arrived and put him in the car and, and, and there was just this mob of people that got around the car. Everybody looking into the car and 
trying to stop the car, and the policeman wasn't sure if he was going to be able to get out of this area because the people just wanted him dead. This mob mentality of he needs to be killed. Now, he had killed a nine-year-old. He had killed grandmothers. He had killed people who were um, in wheelchairs. I mean, he, he had done just horrible, horrible things. And, and there was this mob of just, we want to take care of this now and not allow him to go to prison. And you think of how horrible that particular man was, and at this particular time, that man was Barabbas. Someone that everybody would have known, and someone that everybody would have hated. A son of a father, a representation of humanity that is covered with sin. And then you have Christ. Christ is there, and... He's before Pilate, and, 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 and Pilate brings him before the people, and he's asking him a question, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now imagine who, who Jesus is. You don't have to imagine, you, you know him. He's never failed to love his heavenly father with all of his heart, and he's never failed to love his neighbor as himself. He's never sinned at all. He's never broken one of the commandments in Scripture, and he's never failed to obey the laws of the land. He was always perfectly pure in all that he did. He never committed one single immoral act. He never failed to do what was best for mankind. He was full of mercy and grace, and he loved mankind in a way that no person in history, in the history of the world, had ever done. Nobody had ever loved the way that Christ loved. He always spoke the truth. He always revealed perfectly the Father's will. He displayed humility that the world has never known. He never took up a sword or a club. He never stole a single item, even though he didn't have a place to lay his head. His actions were altogether praiseworthy. He multiplied the fish and the loaves. He healed lepers, touched them, made them completely whole and new. Lepers that are just covered with scaly skin, missing fingers. Um, been times with Dr. Juventine going into areas of South Sudan where there's leper colonies and there's people and you, you don't have to wonder who's the lepers there. You see them. They're missing their toes and their fingers and their nerves have died to a, a place where it's just oozing sores, just a horrific sight, and, and to think Jesus took these people who are part of these leper colonies and made them clean. Not only clean, but Jesus didn't ever heal in a way where it's like, well, you're kind of mostly healed. He just made them whole. He made them perfect. He made them back to their original state as far as without any leprosy. And he did that and restored friends and family and restored these lepers with society he made lame people able to walk. He made deaf people able to hear. He made blind people able to see. He took withered hands and made them whole. And he made the sick perfectly well. He raised people from the dead. And he brought incredible joy to countless people. And even though he was perfect in purity and righteousness, he displayed himself to all mankind as as light that has come from the Father to make known the Father. 
they desire to torture him as if he was the most hated criminal of his day. Imagine watching this particular scene take place. Barabbas, Jesus. The most incredible contrast that you could think of at that particular time. And so Pilate's thinking, I'll make them have a choice. Jesus, King of the Jews, Barabbas. Mark tells us that the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? And so they cried out again, crucify him. And then Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them and delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. We're told that, that, that Pilate said, I washed my hands of his innocent blood. We're told that, that the people are, are crying out, let his blood be on us and be on our children. Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. There's no doubt as far as the incredible sinfulness of man. This mob mentality that brought people to a place of just such rage towards Christ. His blood be on us and on our children. Crucify him, crucify him. Screaming out. Wickedness of man. Jeremiah 17 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart that's inside man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We would like to think that that's not the case. We grew up in a society that tries to tell us that 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 is not the case. But who can know the heart of man? Incredible wickedness. I mean, you, you think of the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. If you've ever been to, to someplace like Dachau or, or to, to some of the other... Um, I've been to Dachau. I've been to the Holocaust Museum in Israel. Um, I've been to other places like Westerbork where there was concentration camps and, and and you go there and you just you just you feel sickened by just the wickedness of the people of what man was capable of I I'll frequently take people if we go through parts of Europe like especially if we go through Munich we'll find a way to go and take people to see Dachau and you you go there and I I, I tell them beforehand like None of you are going to say, I'm glad I came here. But you all should go. And you, you cannot go through that place and leave thinking, I think man is basically good. You just cannot. You can't see lampshades made from human skin. And all that occurred, the, the pictures, the, the, the way in which they force these people to live, and we could look at Germany as a whole and say, well, 
largely the majority of the Germans had no idea of what was taking place in those camps. And they're probably right. But there were 24,000 people who were a part of what was called the death's head unit. And these people knew exactly what was going on within those camps. 24,000 people that were part of what was taking place in those camps. And, and it was horrible. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Romans tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10, there's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. Job tells us, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? The response is, no one. Jesus said, and this is the condemnation, that lights come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And so we look at our text this morning and we see this occurring. We see the incredible wickedness of man as Pilate's there in the weakness of, of who he is rather than just saying, I don't care what you guys say, he, I find him to be without fault. He is going to be released. And out of fear of... of of just his power and losing it and all these things, is so weak that he's saying, like, how about I just beat him first and then release him to you? Or how about I, I give him the, you, you all a choice between the most wicked of our criminals and Jesus? Who are you going to pick? And then to watch the mob mentality of the people saying, give us Barabbas. Sin, incredible, incredible sin. At the same time, think of Barabbas. I read the account of, of, of those with Richard Ramirez and what they were saying. They, they were saying that he was sitting on the curb just in tears saying, can you guys just please let me go? Please let me go. Just begging them to let him go. And you think of Barabbas being there in that prison cell, chained up. And in his mind, it's, I'm going to be put to death. I mean, if anybody, if anybody is going to be put to death, it's going to be me. And then to have them grab him and to pull him out and to bring him before the people. Here is Barabbas. Here is Jesus. And the leader in the country, in that region, is saying, which one do you want to be released? Here's the one that they all have known, and, and his reputation has been such that they're waving palm branches to him the week before. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Have you heard of Jesus? He rises people from the dead. He heals the blind. He heals the lame. He makes deaf able to hear. He makes mute people able to speak. He walks on water. He multiplies fish and loaves. He can make wine out of water. He, he blesses people. He speaks like nobody has ever spoken before. He's putting the religious leaders in their place. He's telling them about their sin. He's exposing it to them. He's overturning tables that are there, charging people in the, in the temple courtyard. He's, he's doing things that nobody has ever done before, but he's good. Is this the one? Is this the Messiah? 
No one's ever done anything like him before. So here's Barabbas. Here's Jesus before the people. And to Barabbas' surprise, they start yelling out, give us Barabbas. The idea of being released. The idea of being freed. The idea of no longer being on death row. The idea of no longer going to be crucified. The idea of, of, of being able to, to, to leave that particular region and possibly never return again. The ability to have life must have been just the most radical, far-fetched idea for someone like Barabbas. And yet, before the people, they cry out, give us Barabbas. Let Christ be crucified. As I was thinking through this, it's not hard to come to a place of, I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. A murderer. I mean, you go through the Sermon on the Mount and, 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 and you find that, that anger that's in your heart is murder itself. Going against the kingdom, we, we've gone hard against the kingdom of God. Hating him. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, and we love darkness rather than the light. We've done this great and evil thing and, and forsaking him and making for ourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. We've gone after the things of the world constantly. Sin upon sin against a holy and perfect God. And yet the punishment that we deserved was placed upon Christ on the cross. It's radical. I think of Barabbas. I, I don't know if after he was released, he just scrammed and got out of there as quickly as he possibly could. I probably would have. But, but there's a good chance that he stayed around. There's a good chance that he was there to see the crucifixion of Christ. Looking upon this and thinking that was supposed to be me. That should have been me. And yet here I am and I'm free. The contrast there of Barabbas versus us is greater than we think because it wasn't just being put to death. It was eternity being separated from the glory of God and his joy for all eternity. For all eternity, being in darkest darkness, blackest darkness, to be made a child of God, robes of righteousness, white as snow, the bride of Christ, eternity with him. Jesus, who was without sin, without fault, he became sin for us. You think of all of the sins of Barabbas that would have been upon him, that would have caused him to be crucified. 
And then you think of the one without any sin, becoming sin for us to where it's not just an insurrectionist or a murderer or a robber, but all of our sin, every last one of them, all of our sin placed upon Christ as he hung on that cross. Every bit of it. There's no sin that God did not place upon Christ on the cross as far as what would keep us out of eternity. He paid the price for all sin. Every sin that you could ever possibly commit, every sin that you've ever possibly committed was placed upon Christ as he became sin for us. And it was all a part of his plan. He chose to do that. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, it says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, you know that. You know he did miracles and wonders and signs. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. According to the predetermined plan, Christ was going to the cross. Determined. Men did it. Pilate did it. The people yelled out, give us Barabbas. The people yelled out, crucify him. The people yelled out, may his blood be upon us and upon our children. The people were saying all of these things. And yet, it was the plan of God that he would go to the cross. You have this incredible contrast between Barabbas and Christ. Son of a father, his father, and the heavenly father. Two humanities. One in which sin covered them all. And the other in which he's a lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing. Perfectly pure. Perfectly righteous. Without fault. And they chose to release this one. And he chose to go to the cross and to become sin for us. These events, they don't happen by chance. It's not that somebody at some point said, hey, we ought to release, we ought to release a prisoner at Passover time. No, God knew that that was going to happen. God knew that that would be the custom of that particular day. God knew of all the sin of Barabbas and what he would be like and what he would have done. And God knew that there was going to be a time in which Pilate, this weakling of a leader, would be there before the people and that he would present Barabbas in Christ. And God knew every bit of the heart of man and their hatred of the light and that they would say, give us Barabbas. And it's recorded for us. 
I pray that that recording for us, this section of Scripture, would make us see the depths of our own sin. See the wickedness of, of who we are. And show how much we needed to be forgiven for. Who, who will love more? The one that's been forgiven less or the one that's been forgiven more? The one that's forgiven more loves more, right? Jesus says. I pray that it would enable us to see our sin. If you think about the 24,000 that are there in Nazi Germany, if you think of the mob mentality of what took place at the Salem witch trials, if you, take, if you, if you think of other circumstances as far as just incredible wickedness of people doing things in the sense of just a mob and doing things where people are getting killed left and right as they're going about thinking this is the best thing that we possibly could do. Don't be quick to remove yourself from that particular group. We're capable of gross, gross sin. And even if we weren't a part of the 24,000, the weight of the sin upon us is so much that God tells us that there's none of you that are righteous, not one. There's none who does good. There's none that seek after him. The inclination of your heart is evil continually. You love darkness rather than the light. And if we were there in our sinful state, we ought not for a minute to think that we would not be amongst the voices saying, crucify him. And he saved us. I pray that it would also just show us the incredible grace of our Lord. Not only does it show us our own sin, but it shows us the incredible grace of our Lord. He is not dying for a people who are just in love with him. He's dying for a people that are saying, give us the worst criminal ever, but let him be crucified. He's dying for a people that hate him and hate the light so much that when there's the choice of the most putrid of mankind versus him and who should we let go together all of them as a mob his blood be on us and our children the wickedness let him be crucified and it's the same Lord who says Father forgive them for they know not what they do the same God who takes us and says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. He's the same God that says, while you're at sinners, that he loved us and that he died for us. That is the God that we serve. This moment in history in which these people yelled out, give us Barabbas, I pray that it would cause an impact upon us to be able to see this person, Barabbas, and us in him. And Christ, and the Father in him. Darkness and light. And to think he became sin so that we would no longer have to be a part of this lineage ever again. Made new creations in Christ. Transferred within to his kingdom. 
finding the very righteousness of Christ upon our account, all of our sins being removed, entering into his kingdom, his everlasting kingdom, now and forevermore, and it's all by grace. May we be thankful that he saved wretches like us. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this account there at your trial and prior to your crucifixion in which this event occurred. Lord, it's not hard to find ourselves right there with Barabbas. It's not hard to find ourselves right there amongst those saying, give us Barabbas, let him be crucified. And yet, you have caused us to know you. You've caused light to shine out of darkness and to shine in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to us and to cause us to have our hearts be softened and to be radically changed and making it so that there's nothing that we desire besides you. And we praise you for that. We're so thankful for your grace, Lord. We're so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful that you are determined, Lord, to die on the cross for us according to your predetermined plan so that you might make for yourself a people, a bride, those called by your name who would spend all eternity with you through faith in what you've accomplished for us on the cross. Believing in you, trusting in you, asking for forgiveness of sins. And you tell us, Lord, that whoever would come to you to no ways turn away. And we praise you for that. May we be so thankful for our salvation this morning. And may it just result in heartfelt praise and adoration unto our God. And we ask this in Jesus' name.